BFM 89.9. My name is Daryl Ong and you tune in to Banan, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Massive news at the turn of the new year. Due to budget cuts, a total of 144 athletes were dropped from the National Sports Council's training program. This number is almost half the full-time athletes under the NSC and follows up the news that the much-debated podium program was also axed after six years of constant revamping. This comes as three major tournaments are lined up for 2022, namely the SEA Games, Asian Games and the Commonwealth Games. Among the athletes dropped are some really big names. We have veteran diver Cheong Jun Hong, who subsequently retired after former Asian number 2 sprinter Razam Shah. And perhaps one of the more surprising ones is the former world number 5 squash player Lawi Wen, who was shocked by the news which came at the 11th hour. The 31-year-old who's been with the national team since 17 years old rejected scholarships from prestigious universities like Yale and Princeton and was understandably shocked in the manner the NSC made the decision. Weewen joins us on the programme this week to tell us more as we dive deeper into what this means not just for her but her fellow colleagues. It came as a bit of a surprise, if I'm being very honest. Um, the thing is that, like I said before, and I will say it again, it's, we understand budget cuts and like, you know, the whole country has been in a pandemic for over two years now. And of course, recently with the floods as well, that's happening in the country. So, of course, we as athletes and, and Malaysians, we understand budget cuts and some things are, I mean, it's inevitable. We have to, we have to accept it. But the process of how it was done, to me, it could have been better. It could have been done in a more professional, uh, professional way. Because um, I've said it as well, I've got the news on the 18th of December, basically saying that, you know, um, unfortunately, we cannot renew our contract. And that also the news came from Mr. Gerard Montero, the president of, of Squash Records in Malaysia. So he was the bearer of bad news, having to call both my coach and I just to let us know that this has happened. Then the NSC has decided not to renew my contract. And yeah, so that was it. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a shame, isn't it? You've been in NSC for such a long time and to, just to suddenly... It, well, would it be right to say that it was a last-minute announcement for you? Uh, for me, it definitely is because, like I said, I had no idea prior to this. And I think in one of the articles as well, they said the decision was made on December 17th mm. that they will not renew my contract. So to me, I think that is pretty last-minute given the fact that we've got about two weeks before the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, how how about how are your fellow athletes uh, doing? You know, apart from yourself, you are one of the bigger names, I guess. Um, but there are a bunch of you know other athletes that has not made it to their prime yet. I would say uh, in, in Malaysia, have you been having conversation with them? What's the feeling on the ground like? Um, I mean, sad to say, but a lot of the athletes, um, especially the younger ones, they do not have a voice just yet. Maybe partly because they have not achieved um, that much in their career and they're just starting up, so they do not have a voice to to actually voice all their. Their, I would say their disappointment. Yeah. And so um, I can't say I represent all the athletes I'm saying what I'm feeling because I mean, some of them uh, may have feel otherwise. So I, I can't be the voice for all the athletes. But I'm saying is that it should have been done better. And, and all this could have been avoided if, you know, if you all can sit down and have a conversation, a discussion about what was going to happen. I'm sure athletes would accept that the budget cuts are there and we can't do anything about it. So, but the point that I'm trying to bring across is that 
we could have just sat down, have a discussion, and we walk away amicably, you know, in a sense. After all, I've represented the country for I don't know how many years now. Okay. So the least you can do is just, you know, sit down, have a conversation, be honest and say that, okay, look, there are budget cuts. We need to make way for the younger athletes or anything else, which I'm more than happy to accommodate to. It's just the way it was done that it's not right. Yeah, it definitely hurts harder, right, when there's no, like, formal sit down together. Did you try at all to have a sit down with them? I did, I actually. I actually asked my um, SRM because there's always a chain of command. I cannot go direct to the National Sports Council because yeah. I have to go through my association. Mm. And that is what I did. I went to my association asking for a meeting whether it's possible for us to sit down and have a discussion before mm. it was actually officially announced. So my request was rejected and the official announcement came out on the 18th of December and that was it because once it's official, you know, it's out there in the press. It's out everywhere. There's no way we can... Make a, we can go back and, and have a discussion or do anything about it. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, SRAM as mediators, right, they're kind of caught in between um, you, yourself, you know, taking care of yourself and also answering, right, to the NSC. Um, after the news broke, um, what have they been doing, you know, to help your situation? Um, I have to really give credit to Mr. Jared Montero, the president of SRAM, because he himself has actually, when he delivered the bad news to my coach and I, saying that my contract will not be renewed, mm. he actually gave his assurance that, you know, do not worry, chin up, continue working, and he will um, sort out the financials to find some funds for me to continue, because um, as soon as my contract is over, I lose everything in the sense where next year, uh, well, this year, I don't have my allowance, I don't have my funding for tournaments, I lose my coach, I lose my physio. Mm. So he actually came up and, and said that, you know what, don't worry about it, I will find the necessary funds. But the problem here is, or the thing that I'm actually, the issue that I'm raising, is not about the money. I'm not talking about the funds or that there are budget cuts that you can't renew the contract. My gripe is how it was done mm. and it should have been done better and that is the lesson that has to be learned, you know. Mm, yeah, we'll talk about, you know, uh, your, your top, top bosses a bit later on but diving a little bit into, I guess, why, right, you were cut. Um, do you think that your, you know, um, previous ACL injury and also your recent knee surgery had a hand to play in the decision? Of course, I mean, if the decision makers feel that um, I cannot recover in time or I have, uh, obviously had a few setbacks in the past yeah. yes I did have an ACL in surgery in 2015 so after my first comeback I actually started back at 250 something in the world to get back to number 24 yep. so I mean I have proven myself in the past and had I decided not to play again I wouldn't have gone through my last surgery as well because let's face it who who wants to go through another surgery if I decided to go through just a sedentary life I wouldn't have gone through the pain of actually going for another operation, the rehab, the physical part of it, the mental part of it. So, sure. so if they had made it clear that, okay, look, we will help you in the last surgery, we will contribute to your surgery, but, you know, that is the end, that's the end of the road for you. You know, you can recover and then we'll support you in your recovery, but, you know, we have done a lot for the country and thank you very much. And I will be happy to accept that, you know. Yeah. And I can actually make the decision myself if I still want to go through another surgery or not, you know? Yeah. yeah. Did, did the NSC contribute to, to, your, to your last surgery? They did make a contribution, yes. They did not pay for the full sum of my surgery, but they did make a, a contribution to my, to my uh, surgical costs, yes. That's great, you know, but, but, but at the end of the day, it's not like you want to be injured, right? You, you got injured playing for the country. So it's just a shame to me how um, you're in a way just dumb by the sides, just like that, right? It's quite, kind of crazy. 
It is, it is. And a lot what people don't realize or that is that when we're out injured, it's not like we are, well, they term it as medical leave. I mean, we're not exactly on leave, you know. Yeah. When we're out injured, the amount of hours you spend in rehabilitation is actually more more than the hours I spend when I'm in training. Yeah. Just because the, the you can't do as much. Uh, so we have to do more in, a, well, more in a day, I would say. So it's not really considered medical leave in a sense where I'm still doing rehab five days a, five days a week, twice a day. Exactly. And I guess after yeah. rehab, you know, you have lots of catching up to do to get back to fit form, right? Um, but even recent news from, um, I guess, the NSC is that they, they recently said that they will reinstate athletes in their training program if the performances are well, right? What I want to ask you, even is, personally, does this interest you at all or will you consider that bridge already burned? Um, if I'm being very honest, logically, if you have taken away all the support system, coach, physio, training allowances, uh, most athletes, if I may say, they will probably just fizzle out and because they have to find another source of income at this point in time. If you have taken away everything, logically, how is an athlete supposed to make a comeback and prove to you that they are still good enough when they have no more facilities? And basically, yeah, I mean, it is is always, it's a good thing that they say that the door is open. You can always try and make a comeback. But if you have all the resources taken away from you, it's, I would say, almost close to impossible to do it. For sure. Um, for squash in particular, and you've been in the arena for such a long time, how important is it to have, you know, you have the NSC's um, backing, but how important is it on the side to have private sponsors as well? I think it's important. That's, I mean, private sponsors are... are I mean, I'm very lucky in a sense where I've had a few private sponsors who've been with me for the longest time. Uh, Nas Metro Group, Mr. Thomas Chan. Um, I've worked with Air Asia, Eco World. All these companies, they have come in and helped me in the past as well. So I'm thankful that some of them are actually still here with me and they will continue my comeback this year, even without the without being in the program anymore. Yeah. But I think uh, we do need to look at corporate sponsors because then again, you know, we athletes, we, we need to make a living as well. I mean, we are doing this as a career. We're not just doing this as a part-time job. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, um, obviously, you know, it's a, it's a bad predicament for you and a bad situation. But looking forward, Ewan, how how are you preparing for, I guess, your foreseeable future as an independent athlete? Um, for me, my main goal now or the next couple of months is to get through the rehab, the full recovery, because that's the most important part. I'm halfway through my rehab at the moment because my last surgery, the surgeon did mention it'll take at least about six months for me to get back to, to a playing condition again. I'm only three months into my rehabilitation right now. Mm-hmm. So I've got another, at least another three months of, of uh, recovery before I can actually look at competing again. So my main focus will be that for now. And once I, that is sorted, then we will look, I will look into some private sponsorships to help fund my uh, career for this year. Mm. Right now is the plan to retain your, your, your team, your physios, your coach. Is that the plan for now? Um, I'm very fortunate in the sense where my coach and physio are willing to continue working with me despite not knowing whether they will get paid. That's Their contract will definitely not be renewed at this point in time. Mm. But I'm very grateful to like SRAP, Association of Penang, which is still allowing me to use the facilities here in Penang and the National, uh, the State Sports Council as well, MSN Penang, mm. which is allowing me to use the gym still despite mm. not having a, being in the program. So I'm grateful for all these people who are still supporting me on the side. 
Yeah, big ups Penang for giving you uh, still the infrastructure to train, right? But I want to talk a bit about the podium program now. Uh, it's been revamped multiple times in the last couple of years and ultimately it was axed, right, this year. You've been in it um, and I'm hoping that you can give us a, maybe a, a little bit of an inside view into its effectiveness. You know, over the years, many accusations were thrown at the program. Observers even go as far as saying it's a plan destined to fail, right? What are your thoughts on this? Um, I think the the way it started was actually a good thing. And then the Podium program is a program where it's focused on high-performance athletes. So it gives us a chance to actually, you know, just worry about training and performing rather than, you know, trying to find something else to, to make up for it, you know, for our expenses and things like that. And it did start off quite well in the sense where we have the resources. Right. But then again, halfway through, as usual, everything here, there's no, there's no follow-through to the plan. So when anybody new walks in, they just make a new change again. So we athletes, administrators, coaches, we have to adapt to um, every new administrator that walks in and decides to make a change to the plan. So there was never a sad period to see the full outcome of it. Yeah. So and that's, I would say, the sad part about Malaysian sports. Yeah, that, that was my next point, actually, you know, because... In a way, you know, the top level, let's say the, the sports minister, right, is your ultimate boss in a way, right? Um, I, I, guess you, I guess it does face you, right, with the change of administration, the change of your big boss. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know how many you've been through, honestly. Yeah, I mean, every, everyone has their own view of how they want to do things in sports. So, yeah. But the problem is that there was never a proper continuation to the program. It, it always starts off well and then halfway through or maybe less than a year into it, someone new walks in and, and revamps the whole structure again. So, yeah. you know, we athletes, we do our best to try and adapt to the whole situation. End of the day, we are the one who has to produce the results, mm. you know, and when we don't produce the results, we are the ones to blame for it as well. So, I mean, it's it's not the most ideal situation, but we need a plan that is actually sustainable and someone to actually see the whole plan through rather than keep changing it every every two years or so. Yeah, picking up where the last guy le- left off, right, in a way. Yeah, it must, must be crazy. But at the end of the day, we when it comes down to the money, right? I mean, but this year's budget is Malaysia's biggest ever national budget. And yet, sports, the funding for sports has been reduced by 70%. What are your thoughts on this? Um, yes, like I said, it's very unfortunate that the budget of sports has been cut a massive amount this year. But um, so that would definitely impact, I guess, the multinational games that's going to happen mm. uh, later this year. Yep. And it's a sad state because end of the day, sports, um, whether we like it or not, sports unites the nation, you know. And regardless of race, religion, gender, you know, when one Malaysian is playing, it's the whole atmosphere is different. and Everybody comes together, we support each other, yeah. you know, and it's just a very fulfilling sort of feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sad to say that sports has taken a big hit this year and we do hope that um, they will, the rest of the athletes will still find it and in somewhere in them to be able to train and compete and do well for the nation. Mm. Um, one suggestion that was bandited around for the longest time is you know, to employ someone who is a former national athlete or someone at least who has a sporting background to spearhead um, local sporting affairs. Uh, do, do you think that this move would change much? Um, it's hard to say because end of the day, with someone with more knowledge about sports that comes in, but their hands might be tied as well because there's always someone in a higher authority making making calls and making the shots. So, I mean, as you can put whoever you want to be in charge at this point in time, but their hands are tied to a certain extent. Mm. So, I mean, unless they have a free hand of seeing how they want to run the program, uh, because, you know, end of the day, yes, money comes into play as well. How much budget do we have for sports? We may want to hire 
I mean, the best coaches or or even if you want to renovate the facilities, but at the end of the day, if there's no means to it, it it's not going to happen. Right, got you. Yeah, it doesn't matter who's at the top, right? If their hands are tied, their hands are tied at the end of the day and it's quite a, honestly quite a depressing situation to, to hear about. Um, but even you've been a role model for many you know, aspiring squash players for the longest time now, do you think that this episode would, in a way, hinder aspiring squash players to actually chase it seriously as a career? I hope it doesn't. To be very honest with you, I hope it doesn't. That's But that's also because um, I've proven in the past that, you know, being here in Malaysia, you can actually get to top five in the world. Because prior to that, um, the other three people that have done it before me, uh, Dr. Nicole David, Ong Beng Hina, Aslan Iskandar, they have all done it overseas. So the amount of money you spend being overseas is definitely a lot more. So what I have done is I've actually opened the doors for local players and local coaches to show them that, you know, there is a way to do it. it if there's a will, there's a way. And if you want to do it, it can be done here in Malaysia itself. Mm. So I do hope that whatever has happened uh, recently will not deter them. But I do hope there's actually a lesson learned um, for, I guess, for all parties involved that, you know, it should be a, should have been done in a more professional way. For sure. Um, you can tell us a little bit about, uh, I guess, your journey to becoming a professional Malaysian athlete. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the challenges and sacrifices that you've made. Um, yeah, I mean, I started squash at the age of eight. Um, that's, if I'm being honest, the reason why I started playing squash was because actually my parents got divorced and my mom wanted me to do something on the weekend. So that's how I basically started. And sports to me, squash is not just a hobby, you know, it's something that has changed my life mm-hmm. and he has shaped who I am today. Mm. So in that sense, I think a lot of young kids can can relate to that, you know, where sports is not just a hobby, you know, it's, it's a career and, it's, and it makes you who you are. Mm. When, so, sorry, but when did yes. you actually decide, you know, um, you started at eight, I was pretty young and I'm sure back then you were doing it for exercise, uh, recreation, that sort of thing. When did you actually decide that, you know what, I'm going to take this real, up, real seriously, I'm going to do it full time and make it, a, make it a career for myself? The turning point for me is when I won the British Juniors um, back in I think when I was 18 years old because the British Juniors at that point is pretty much like the World Junior Championship so if you can make your mark there it means that you're probably one of the best players in the world mm. at your age mm. so that was the decision for me and I said look um, and I was actually offered really good scholarships to go to the US as well that's right so I had to make a tough call at that point in time and I have to convince my mom, of course, to, to let me play professional sports rather than actually pursuing my degree in, let's say, in Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Trinity or all those renowned colleges in the US. Mm. So the, and, you know, coming from an Asian-Malaysian background where education is always first, you know, yeah. so me trying to actually convince my mom to let me play professional squash wasn't, I would say, the easiest task. But what I had um, in mind and what I actually negotiated with my mom is that I was 17 years old then. So I said, if you give me one year when I touch 18 years old, if I don't break top 50 in the world, I would actually pack my bags and go off to the US. And look what happened, right? (laughs) So that was the deal I made. And so at least I had a a goal in mind. I I knew what I wanted to achieve and I had a timeline to it. So. Yeah, yeah you, so it wasn't just a blind plunge saying that, okay, you know what? I don't want to study. I'm just going to play squash. Got you, got you. And you don't, yeah. you didn't just, you know, break the top 50. You ended up uh, throughout your career top five in the world, which is mind-blowing to me, especially, you know, since you've trained locally, right? 100% locally. So um, obviously no regrets, but in hindsight, you know, if you could roll back the years, would you have gone to Princeton? Would you have gone to Harvard? 
Um, well, the funny thing is actually my sister took the scholarship and she went to the US uh, because I didn't do it. So it's it's fair play in a sense where at least my mom has one with education and one with a sporting <laughs> career. So I guess that's the consolation for her. Um, but I mean, I do not have regrets playing for the country and making that decision at that point in time. It's led me to who I am today. Mm. And like it or not... Um, you know, I have a, quite a compelling story in the past as well. I mean, like I've been through a couple of surgeries. I've came from nowhere to where I am today, you know, and that story is something that will inspire people in the future. So I do hope that whatever I've been through and the story that I have will sort of, sort of inspire the younger generation to mm. want to have to do something in their life, you know. For sure. Uh, let's talk about that now. We went, uh, you're one of the senior players and one of the, the top players uh, in, in squash in Malaysia. What are your thoughts on the next gen um, of, of athletes that you see? I mean, they're doing really well at the moment. We have the younger group, uh, Sangari, Rachel, Aifa and the, and the younger batch as well. I mean, they, they are doing well in, in, the, in the world of squash. So we are in good hands. Um, and we do have, a, I could say, a massive group of juniors coming out during the smaller tournaments. But that's uh, partly thanks to Nicole as well, who has made Malaysia is famous, you know. I mean, everybody wants to get involved in squash, partly because of what she has done, you know. Mm. So that, that is a good thing. So we have a good group of juniors coming up. And I do hope that we will continue to be one of the top sports um, in the country who's always delivered medals when it matters most. Mm. Uh, talking a bit about your inspirations when growing up, I mean, Dato Nico has to be on there, on Ong Beng Hee as well. Have they been um, in touch with you um, about your current situation? Uh, yes, I've been in touch with um, Ong Beng Hee as well. He knows the whole situation at this point in time. Um, he had to go through his own retirement and, and things like that as well. So it's not pretty what has happened. But like I said, I would always want to get my point across that it's not about the money that, that is what I'm talking about. It's not because of the lack of funding or, or whatsoever. All I'm saying is that the way it was done should have been better. And that is the, that, that is the standard I'm taking, you know. Yeah, the, the treatment, right, in, 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 for lack of a better word. Um, last question, Vivian. Um, looking forward to this year, you've renewed your PSA membership, so you'll still be competing this year as an independent athlete. And obviously, you know, there are a bunch of games coming up, the SEA Games, the Asian Games, the Commonwealth Games as well. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, your plans for 2022. Um, like I said, my main concern now is to get back to full recovery. So once I'm back uh, fully on court, and then I will start looking at tournaments. Right now, because in the, the whole world as well, we're still struggling with COVID. Yeah. So some tournaments have been cancelled and some have been pushed back. So I can't say for sure what will my first tournament be. Everything is still very subjective at this point in time. So, I mean, we can always come back to that at a later date. I'm happy to discuss that at a later date. But for me at this point in time, it's my main focus is to get back into full, full fitness first. That was squash player and former world number five, Lawi Wen speaking to us after being axed by the National Sports Council as she prepares life as an independent athlete. And with that, we've come to the end of this week's programme. If you'd like to revisit the interview with Wiwen, the podcast will be up real soon on our website, www.bfm.my forward slash bar none. If you'd like to get in touch with us, do tweet us at the BFM Radio and also don't forget to download the BFM app via Google Play and the App Store. My name's Daryl Ong and this has been Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Join us again next week, only here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.